Welcome back to the 177th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including two talking about how Joe Biden is losing the youth vote, which is going to be crucial to his winning the upcoming election, as well as one talking about how the New York Times ran a headline irresponsibly and then retracted, but it's just not enough. And, of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So Gen Z is one of those generations that's supposed to be the most conservative of any generation in quite some time. And what I mean by that is not, oh, they're more conservative than any other generation. No, but percentage-wise... They are more conservative than millennials and Gen Xers. So when you hear certain statistics saying, ah, well, a lot of them like Donald Trump, they didn't like Biden, you, or at least in my mind, I'm not so surprised, especially with that fact that a lot of them are a little bit more Republican or even libertarian leaning. Now, is that because of how we grew up on the internet, because we grew up underneath a whole bunch of regime change wars? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know, but I want to hear your opinion. I want you to throw it down there in the comment section, and maybe you have a more enlightened view of the generation because either you're a part of it or you can see some of the trends from the outside from a different generation. Uh, just a little note, yes, my voice is a little uh, raspy. It's a little bit deeper than normal. It may have something going on with the throat, so please stick with me, and if I uh, cough or anything during the time, I am sorry. All right, let's jump to our first article that comes from 740KTRH. The surprise group of voters turning against Biden. So yes, as you can tell, especially by the daily debate, Ooh, I wonder what the surprise is. Of course, it's going to be Gen Zers. But it's a really interesting generational divide, and both articles actually provide or at least try to highlight different reasons for why the fact that Joe Biden is losing the youth vote. So let's jump straight to a quote from this one. Quote, a new poll out that you are not going to hear about. According to the data, there is a surprise group that is turning against Joe Biden in favor of former President Donald Trump. The surprise group... One of the Democrats' core groups, young people ages 18 to 24. If you actually speak to them, you're not surprised because guess what? They want to fill their gas tanks just like we do, said the UH political science professor Jackie Blay. The young people 18 to 24, they are saying that it's much harder to pay for things now than it was during Trump's presidency, end quote. So, of course, a little bit of economic malaise, a little bit of inflation, and, you know, these students or these people that are in this age group, they probably haven't experienced or at least had to pay for themselves a lot of these different economic fluctuations. They haven't been through 40 years of back and forth or 20 years on their own out there in the real world paying for their own thing and seeing the economy go up and down and noticing there are benefits during different presidents and benefits during others. Like during the Republican presidents, you may tend to have a little bit uh, lower taxes if they get their way. You may tend to have a little bit more of a a kickback in stock options from your company if you work at a large company. Or if you're in the Democratic side and you've worked in a more labor-focused job or an industrial job, then maybe you've noticed that your uh, power as a union goes up. You actually get 
a little bit more wage increases, a little bit more negotiating power underneath Democratic presidents because they tend to be a little bit more pro-union, even though that hasn't necessarily been the case under Obama or Clinton. They've kind of you know signaled here or there, but they're not as pro-union as Joe Biden. But you'll notice that there are different benefits under different presidents, and that kind of informs you as to, okay, well, things can always come around. But these 18 to 24-year-olds, is their first time being out there experiencing this kind of really bad inflation on their own. And they're like, well, I remember when I was coming out into the real world under Trump, and I definitely wasn't paying this much. So that seems to make sense to me when they make the argument, ah, that it's simply, or at least one of the factors is simply, they can buy more under the Trump presidency than they can buy now under the Biden presidency. I mean, that's going to resonate with people. And even if they're not fully aware of politics, they're going to notice that their money doesn't necessarily go as far if they're not making more. So, of course, that's going to lead to a little bit of hesitation on their part for President Joe Biden. So what are the other comments or what are the other reasons or what does this article want to highlight here? And I think this is another interesting side of it. I don't want to give it too much leeway and kind of be teasy, like, ooh, what are they going to say? But they they have a little bit of a different perspective on the reason that some people don't actually know that these 18 to 24-year-olds are flipping because they said, well, it's a poll you're probably not going to hear about. They're kind of highlighting that maybe people don't want to acknowledge this for one particular reason or another. Quote, despite the spin and propaganda from the mainstream media, the reality is young people not only feel worse off today, but they also believe that the border is a major problem. Biden's foreign policy decisions have been bad, and Biden's age is also a really big concern. So you can see there's one, two, three, one, two, three punch. There's a whole bunch of issues stacked up here that a lot of young people care about beyond just the economy. And that's why you may not hear some of these talking points or some of these facts coming out because it really it doesn't look good for Biden. It's not like, oh, well, the economy's bad or there's a little bit of board. Power. No, some of these younger people are actually not just buying into, but actually seeing some of these key issues that Republicans have been talking about. They're like, yeah, actually, you're right. So. Obviously, these messages are resonating a little bit with this age group, which is something that you're, if you're on the Democratic side, you probably don't want to say. You don't want to say, oh, this messaging is working on young people, or you don't want to say that this messaging is working on anybody. But when young people are a key demographic, you especially don't want to say that it's working on young people. Quote, and it will be hard for younger people to feel passionate about a Biden presidency, Blaith told KTRH. Say what you will about President Trump, but... He does have energy, and that will be a big, big decision-maker and deciding factor for younger voters. The poll also found that Trump is on track to win the Gen Z vote by 29 points after losing it by 12 in 2020, and that overall Trump is dominating Biden in four of the six battleground states, end quote. And to be honest, the argument that he has more energy, yeah, he has more energy, but we're starting to see some videos of his gaffes, too, or some, you know, weird ramblings, and I'm not saying that Trump's off his game, I just think he's off his game, yeah, no, I'm definitely saying that, never mind, take it back, he's definitely off his game, he has a few moments where he's rambling, where you don't necessarily understand what he's saying, he's misquoting things, and that's not the end of the world, everybody does that, that that should be held against nobody, because a 40-year-old could do it, 30-year-old could do it, but it's one of those things when you're trying to paint a picture of Biden as off his game and really being old, dilapidated, so on and so forth. When you have moments like that come out from your campaign, your time on the trail, it doesn't necessarily look as good. Also, a 29-point uh, win. 
I still find that hard to believe. Maybe he could win it by, you know, five points. And that's just kind of my gut feeling. That's, there's no evidence to back that one up particularly. Obviously, this is coming from a poll. We're going to need more polls to make it aggregate. But 29%, it just feels like a lot because... I talk to people in this age group fairly often. It, it consists of a lot of my day. And to be honest, I don't get the sentiment that they're overwhelmingly Trump. I get the sentiment that they're not loving things right now, but does that necessarily mean that they're going to vote Trump? I mean, they may not like what Biden's doing, but some may just fall in line. Some people that I've talked to some people that consider themselves leftists and they don't like what Joe Biden's doing, but at the end of the day, they said they'll probably fall in line for him when the vote comes around. So I don't know if this is a polling anomaly and people are, you know, one, we're so far out from the election that they don't necessarily realize, oh, well, I got to fall in line for Joe Biden. I don't like what Trump, Trump is doing. So, I mean, sorry, I don't like what Biden is doing. So therefore, I'll vote for Trump. They may not make that necessary connection. They're just like, you know what? No, I don't like what Biden's doing. And then towards the end of it, they'll probably fall in line or they just won't vote. That's something that a lot of people in this generation also tend to do, just not vote because they're like, well, I, you know, I don't like Biden, but also, you know, could Trump, even though I said I would have voted for him a while ago, I've been thinking about it. Some of his policy things seem a little bit crazy. You know, the media has been blasting him, so on and so forth. So I don't know. I, I feel as though the sentiment is not 100% there for, or at least the evidence from the people that I'm talking to is not 100% there for a 29 point victory, especially after losing it by 12 in the past. I mean, what if he's going to win by 29 and he lost by 12 last time, then that's a 41 point shift. I'm sorry. I don't see that in our generation. There are still a lot of people who hate Trump in our generation. So we'll see. We will see indeed. So we have our second article that comes from Slate. And then again, it's about the youth side. The headline reads, Biden has a youth vote problem. His Israel policy is making it worse. So you can see from the first one, they're willing to take a more, oh, it's a pro-Trump stance. This one, they kind of ignore the overall, they use similar polls that have come out, but they kind of ignore the fact that uh, Trump was even in that poll and they're just talking about Biden's approval and likelihood of vote from people in this generation. So it's a little bit of an interesting spin, in my opinion, and they're obviously focusing in on something that's really relevant now, the Israel-Hamas or Israel-Palestine kind of back and forth, and they're trying to blame it on that in order to push a particular agenda. At least that's how I read it. Uh, I'm not trying to call them disingenuous. I just, when I read it, it definitely feels as though they're drawing strings between something, which is true. A lot of youth people, we ha young people, we have seen a poll say that they don't like Israel's responses to the Hamas attacks. They think that they're not actually justified to do things. But I don't know if people are there saying, ah, yes, I won't vote for Biden be just because of his Israeli-Palestinian uh, policy. I, I'm sorry, but a lot of people don't care about foreign policy that much. And if they don't, in the polls have said, oh, well, yeah, no, Israel is justified. But that, that doesn't mean that that instantly translates to America's support for Israel. And I think that kind of leap is not necessarily responsible, or at least it may be a little bit disingenuous. I'm not saying that Slate actually makes that direct leap, but they're definitely falling along the lines of all of this different information that's coming out about the young people not liking Israel and Palestine the way that it's being handled right now. So let's talk about Joe Biden's problem. Quote, President Joe Biden has a serious age problem, and it's not that it's 
that he's 80. It's his dreadful standing with youth voters. If he was to be reelected next November, even at this early stage, there are many indications that this is really possible. It's likely that his remarkable low marks with voters under 40 will be seen as a major culprit. A recent Quinnipiac poll underscores Biden's disastrous standing with the youth vote. The president's favorability ratings has cratered out at an almost unbelievable 25% among registered voters under 35 years old. A few weeks prior, a Washington Post-ABC poll had Trump winning the voters under 35 by 20 points. The Post story notes that the poll differs from others taken recently and that it may be an outlier. It's not the only recent presidential poll that made publishers raise an eyebrow. So, you know, kind of just they're kind of uh, fluffing. They're saying, oh, well, you know, the poll may not be 100 percent legitimate. And let's be clear, it may actually be an outlier, but they're kind of fluffing here a little tiny bit. But why else would Biden be down? So. We obviously talked about why some people would prefer Trump, but why would just Biden be down, devoid of the Trump presidency? Well, he made a promise about canceling student loan debt, and he wasn't able to actually serve that one up. He tried multiple times, and it was out of his hands, but at the end of the day, some people don't have the goodwill saying, oh, well, yeah, he tried, and I respect that he tried. No, some people are like, okay, you said you were going to try. Great, you did try. Thank you. You didn't get it done, which means you didn't actually have a material impact on my life, so I'm not going to vote for you. That is one possibility. The other influences from the last article, the border and other things like that, sure, inflation underneath Joe Biden, those are also all points that could definitely make you hesitate and say, oh, maybe maybe that's it. But the one that I think that they're pointing to initially and I think they kind of do it in a sly way, is that he's old. Does Joe Biden relate to young people in any way, shape, or form when he says uh, he's a lying-faced pony soldier? I'm sorry, but our generation, we mock him for that because it is so out of date. That sort of comment sounds like your grandma or your grandpa trying to, you know, be clever about, oh, yeah, no, he's a person who just lies. Come on. So he doesn't resonate at all. And of course, young people, they're not going to like somebody that doesn't resonate. You know, no matter what you think about Trump, at least he can meme a little bit. At least he can joke around. There have been some moments on on Twitter or with the POTUS account that Joe Biden has been a little bit funny. And by Joe Biden, I mean his media strategy team. And maybe that could work for him a little bit. But we're an online generation. Whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, we are an online generation. And in order to get our vote, I'm sorry to say, you got to be able to meme a little bit. You got to be able to joke around. Now, let's, you know, Biden didn't necessarily joke around too much last time and he still got our vote. So maybe that hypothesis doesn't hold true, but it definitely is a part of it because he's not relatable. He isn't. At 80 years old, the people who are under 35 are looking at him like, Really? I'm going to vote for my grandfather? I'm going to vote for my crazy Uncle Joe to go and be president again? No, I'm fine. I'd, I'd rather sit this one out. I'd rather vote for a libertarian. I'd rather vote for the Green Party. I, you know, they have lots of different options nowadays, and they're kind of not settled into the par- party system. They haven't gotten 100%. They're still idealistic. They haven't sat in the place where they're like, oh, well, if it's a vote for a libertarian, it doesn't actually matter. It's just kind of a spoiler vote. No, they haven't settled into that yet. They're still willing to express themselves. They are highly motivated if they want to vote Libertarian Green Party to actually put their vote there, and they haven't become just 
how should I say it? Complacent with the way that things are. They are idealistic about the way that things can be. And when you look at Joe Biden, he is the ultimate symbol of the mainstream. He is the ultimate symbol of the moderate uniparty in Washington who's been there for 40 plus years. And people are like, no, okay, we're, we're done with this. The people that are becoming politically informed are like, we're out. And the other people who aren't, they're like, yeah, he makes gaffes. Uh, his economy is terrible. I don't necessarily pay attention to politics, but I don't like what I'm seeing or hearing on the outset of all this new election stuff. So that's my you know, opinion, or at least part of it, and it's just kind of a brief analysis. But Slate wants to take it in another direction, and it is the Israel policy, the pro-Israel policy of Joe Biden. Quote, Biden's Israel policy threatens to deepen the divide even further. Again, it's wise not to overreact to polls, but the data is not terribly ambiguous on this. On this issue, young voters are far from the president, who publicly remain hawkish and unstinting in a way that has not kept pace with their political attitudes or even those to a lesser degree of the Democratic Party. Biden has continued to pledge unquestioning and total support for Israel, even as human rights groups sound the alarm about the threat of the Israeli military committing ethnic cleansing against Palestinians. Humanitarian groups' inability to deliver anything resembling sufficient aid to Gaza and commitments from the Israeli military leaders that indicate a willingness to target civilians. So let's pause here for a second. And I do find this one very, very interesting because, yes, our generation cares a lot about humanitarian problems. I mean, every young generation normally does. If you're a... Uh, Republican, when you're young, you don't have a heart. If you're a Democrat, when you're old, you don't have a head. You don't have a brain. So young people normally empathize very heavily with situations like this, especially in the age of social media, where you can see all these videos of terrible things happening in Israel and in Gaza. But my, my question is, why is this one so much more important? Why is this one really the top line? Maybe it's because there are lots of people who resonate with the Palestinian-Israeli issue. There's also just a lot of support for the Palestinians in general in like college campuses and in a lot of the youth spheres because that's just how certain academics and how people have been leaning for a while that are a little bit more academically focused or in the teaching world. So maybe that's a more resonant issue. The reason I bring it up is why not the Kurds? You know, the Kurds, they are a ethnic people who don't have a homeland. What about the Uyghur Muslims? I mean, we, we virtue signal, we say that we care about these different groups that are being oppressed, that are being uh, thrown into different camps all across the, the world. There's probably a few different groups in African countries, Asiatic countries, South American countries. You could even make an argument that there are probably some in the West as well that are being underrepresented. And yes, this generation cares about them, but are they going to let it define who they vote for because they have the president has a different, completely different policy or at least a semi-different policy? No. So I, I think this one resonates for a very particular reason, and I think that's because it's very politically hot. I mean, there are lots of pro-Palestine and pro-Israel people, but there's, there's not a whole bunch of pro-Kurd people that have been defining the conversation out there or pro Uyghur Muslim people that have been defining the conversation out there. So I don't necessarily think these young people are 100% all about the humanitarian problem, but they're really just focused on the Palestinian one, which brings me to the question of do they actually care or are they just being told to care? Now, you may be wondering, well, why does that matter? Because if they're being told to care, 
then guess what? Someone could shift the narrative and then they could go back to supporting Joe Biden. They, somebody could lay it out to them, the rational reasons for why Israel needs to be protected in this reason, this reason, this reason, even if you agree or not, versus if they actually hold this humanitarian issue close to their heart and they agree for all these different humanitarian issues and they're actually 100% genuine and they've done the research and they're fully behind this, and yes, Joe Biden will lose these voters 100%. But I, I don't necessarily think that the Israel-Palestine issue is directly that. I think a lot of people, including myself, have heard the talking points our entire lives, but we don't have a deep understanding. And you just kind of choose a side. But if you just kind of choose a side and you don't have deep moral convictions about it, your mind can be changed. You can be shifted by the narrative in the media. You can be shifted by the ongoing actions taken by your president. And maybe you'll bring some younger voters back in line when they start to realize or they start to agree with what Biden's doing. But the Slate article doesn't necessarily agree with that one. Quote, Biden's Thursday night public address on the matter, which broadcast right around the same time that Israel was bombing one of the world's oldest churches, killing 16 people, was cheered on by Fox News, which is not, incidentally, a youth outlet. But none of the ways that Biden has responded to the conflict has been received favorably by young Americans. The same Quinnipiac poll found that 51% of voters under 35 say that they disapprove of the United States sending weapons and military support to Israel, a much higher figure than the 28% of Americans who oppose such a policy. Only 21% of voters under 35 say they approve of Biden's Israel policy. 42% of voters across all age brackets approve. So... That's, uh, you know, that's not a whole bunch of approval overall in the populace. Another reason that our generation could also be, and I know I gave all the, the moral suasions, the humanitarian aid one. Another one that could, especially on when you frame it the way of sending military aid, another reason this could really resonate and make people say, okay, hold on, hold up, Biden. I want you to slow down here. Is because our generation grew up under multiple wars in the Middle East. We saw these quagmires go on and on and on, and they never ended. We grew up in a time where we were just at war. And honestly, I think our generation is just kind of tired of it. We're tired of America being the police state in the world. Now, whether you can make a practical argument for America policing the world in order to ensure trade, in order to ensure stability so that we can actually get oil from different regions and keep the economy afloat, blah, 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 blah. I'm not against any of those practical reasons. I'm not trying to say that at the end of the day, we shouldn't be the police force, but this generation most definitely has that sentiment. And I even hold it to myself. I have deep moral or I have deep questions that I ask myself about whether we should be over in particular wars. And I still have a hard time coming down on one side or the other because I'm sick of the wars. I'm sick of sending our soldiers over there and having to hear about the terrible accidents and having to see the families mourning on TV. But I also understand there are practical implications for most of the military actions and not just complete warmongering, even though some of it is. Some of it is inspired by industries that want to ramp up production and keep their business flowing. But there's also part of it where there you could make rational justifications for a lot of the different moves that the U.S. makes on in the international playing field, so to speak. So I go back and forth. In this generation, I'm assuming they probably go back and forth, but if not like me, you know, willing to listen to some more practical arguments about why some of these things are important, they probably lean more towards, hey, no, I don't want to hear about all these 
terrible wars. I don't want to see the videos coming across my Twitter feed. I want the U.S. to be out of it. And I think that's another large part, especially when the polls frame this way about sending military support. A lot of people in our generation and Gen Z are going to be like, I don't know. We're already doing it with Ukraine. We can see it just goes on and on and it keeps escalating. There's another modern example. We pulled out of Afghanistan. Look what happened there. Oh, we were in Iraq. Look what happened there. So I think that that's going to be a hard sell for a lot of people in our generation. All right, so let's jump to our last article that comes from, or sorry, our last news article that comes from the Daily Beast. The New York Times' Mia Culpa on the Gaza hospital explosion is too little too late. And why I found this being a very interesting article is it's coming from the Daily Beast, which if you haven't ascertained from my past coverage of the Daily Beast or you haven't read it yourself, it tends to be a little bit more of a left-wing, maybe a little bit more progressive sometimes outlet. And when they're calling out the New York Times, when they're calling out an outlet that also tends to lean a little left in some of its coverage, and they're kind of coming out against the pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas, and yeah, I know, I'm falling for the framing, let's just call it pro-Palestine sort of arguments, Uh, it's interesting to say the least, because most people on that side of the aisle, not everybody, but a lot of people on that side of the aisle, especially further down to the left, on the progressive side, which is where the Daily Beast sometimes stands, they're more okay with these sort of narratives that Israel is an oppressor and things of this nature. So when they're calling out this New York Times headline, it was very interesting to me. So obviously there was a headline controversy with the New York Times. If you haven't caught up on that, actually, you know what? I'm going to read you a quote so that they can catch you up on it because they can summarize it better than I can since they're writing it down rather than just ranting on podcasts. Quote, talk about too little too late. On Monday morning, the New York Times finally copped to a huge error. Despite its earlier coverage on the contrary, there was no available evidence that Israeli forces attacked the Al-Hali hospital in Gaza. The Times never comes right out and says that they got it wrong, but the editor's note does say American and other international officials have said that their evidence indicates that the rocket came from Palestinian fighter positions. You wouldn't know it but by reading the stilted and benign language of the editor's note, but the New York Times' original October 17 headline read, Israeli strikes kills hundreds at hospital, Palestinians say. The phrasing was irresponsible to say the least, end quote. So they ran a headline that came out of Gaza City, and guess who their source was? Ah, Hamas, or Palestinians. And not to say that all Palestinians uh, are... 100% in the back corner of Hamas, but some of them are. Some of them did vote for Hamas, or some of their family members voted for Hamas. Some of them actively support the, uh, how would you say it, the revolution or the resistance that some of these Hamas fighters are battling against the Israelis. And, of course, when you have an incident like a explosion near a hospital, I believe it was actually in the parking lot behind the hospital, if I'm not mistaken, and you instantly have a death count that comes out of 500 people initially. They gave it within, I believe it was an hour. I believe it was pretty darn quick that the turnaround was. And New York Times just ran with it. They're like, oh, yeah, 100%. These people would never blow up the story. They would never make it bigger, the number of people lost, bigger than it actually was. That wouldn't actually give them any uh, beneficial media coverage. They would never do something like that. And also, they could definitely verify that it was 500 people killed within a matter of an hour. 
you know, that's what the author's calling out here. That's what he's saying is irresponsible on the part of the New York Times. And a lot of people have criticized him for it. And like I said, what's important here is when you see the divide between the people who are really progressive, who just want to follow that narrative, and the people who work for a progressive outlet, but they can be a little bit rational, it actually shows the split on that side of the aisle. And the reason I want to point this out is because there are rational people on both sides. Right now, we have too many different articles coming out calling the other side evil. Ah, they're warmongers. They just want Israel to go to war. They're evil. Ah, they're people that are terrorist sympathizers. Oh, they're evil. So I think that this shows that you can't make broad generalizations about either side. You could say specific statements about specific people for their specific words, sure, but making generalizations about the other side saying, oh, they're this, they're that, just because of one opinion on that side of the aisle is extremely, extremely irresponsible. I've said this millions of times in different cases, but especially in a time where things are so heated over Israel and there are people motivated to do terrible things on either side because they're starting to get these different, uh, how should I put it? They're getting the rhetoric that this, you know, the other people are the devil. The other people are Satan. The other people are not morally, how should I say, they're not in touch with the moral reality this sort of language leads to demeaning the other side as lesser because they can't see what you see. And I think this is a problem, and I want to make sure to point out that even people on the other side of the aisle that work for these other outlets, they can have nuanced opinions just like everybody else. And they'll call out people when they're wrong just like everybody else. So always take a breath, calm down, and engage with people on an individual basis. Don't assume what they're thinking. I, you know, I, I, let's be clear, I still do this. It's, it's hard sometimes when you're engaged in a conversation and you kind of just assume. But no, take the time to ask. It's really, really important. And maybe sometimes people will surprise you. All right, let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from Times Out. The Trumpkin Square Halloween Day Parade, sorry, Dog Parade 2023, winners are in. So, on Saturday, there was the Tompkins Square Halloween Dog Parade in NYC. Quote, this beloved Tompkins Square Park Halloween Dog Parade went on without a hitch on Saturday, despite the rain and an initial cancellation. Three winners were crowned, and we wholeheartedly agree with the judges. The top three were Winnie the Pooch, <laughs> Willy Wonka, and this one's a funny one. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Balloon Pikachu. And that one's a really cool one. So they, they have them uh, on a platform with it, the head of the dog sticking out of a Pikachu b- balloon, quote-unquote, that has strings tied to a set that makes it look like it's hovering off the ground like a Macy's Day Parade Balloon. It is uh, honestly amazing, to say the least. Quote, the parade traveled down Avenue B from East 6th Street, to East 14th Street and ended at a stage in Tompkins Square Park. Fett Walk, dog author and communications officer of the Tompkins Square Park Dog Run, alongside Get Joy, founder and CEO of Tom Oryx, Get Joy's veterinary advisor, Dr. Barrett Levesky of Verg, Brooklyn, and others served as the judges. And if you want to check out any of these cute photos from this one or any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.